This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. As we covered in previous episodes, although non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or NAFLD, is asymptomatic, the prevalence among people with type 2 diabetes is thought to be around 75%. Among these, approximately 1 in 5 will progress to non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, increasing their risk of poor outcomes. However, the only way to confirm a diagnosis of NASH is through liver biopsy, meaning it isn't feasible or appropriate to screen every patient for NASH. So how can we help identify people with NASH? This episode will examine the currently available approaches to identifying NASH and later we'll speak to Professor Aaron Sanyal for his advice on implementation of these techniques in clinical practice. As mentioned, diagnosing NASH requires a biopsy of hepatic tissue in order to histologically confirm the key features of the disease, those being steatosis, ballooning and degeneration of cells and lobular inflammation. This allows a pathologist to differentiate between simple steatosis and steatohepatitis, as well as staging and grading of liver fibrosis in cases of NASH. It's therefore impossible to make a diagnosis through non-invasive testing alone. However, this doesn't mean that non-invasive tests aren't useful, but rather it can help identify those at high risk of NASH who may be candidates for biopsy. There are a number of serum changes and other factors associated with the development of NASH and advanced fibrosis. For example, an elevated AST-ALT ratio or low platelet count. An enhanced liver fibrosis or ELF panel can also assess the extent of fibrosis present through a serum sample through testing for other markers of fibrosis. By combining these non-invasive tests with general risk factors such as age, hyperglycemia and body mass index, it's possible to assess a patient's NASH risk and therefore identify people at a higher risk of developing NASH. For example, looking first at the patient's medical history, those with type 2 diabetes or features of metabolic syndrome may be considered at higher risk of developing fibrosis. Scoring systems can then be used to combine these factors with non-invasive tests to give an overall risk score, such as FIB4, which uses age, platelet count, ALT level and AST level to predict advanced fibrosis. Another scoring system is the NAFLD Fibrosis Score, or NFS, which also takes into account BMI, albumin level and presence of hyperglycemia. Imaging techniques such as ultrasound and transient elastography are also used to assess fibrosis. However, the 2016 EASL-EASD-EASO clinical practice guidelines for NAFLD make no firm recommendations around screening techniques beyond ultrasound and biopsy, while the more recent 2018 guidance document from the AASLD says that FIB4 and NFS are clinically useful for identifying NAFLD patients with higher likelihood of having bridging fibrosis or cirrhosis. So how should we approach this in practice? To discuss this topic, we're joined by Professor Aaron Sanyal, who's Professor of Medicine, Physiology and Molecular Pathology at Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine in Richmond, Virginia, and he was a co-author of the AASLD guidance document on the diagnosis and management of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, as well as many other influential papers on the subject. His disclosures are available in the episode notes. 
So firstly, given the high prevalence of NAFLD among people with type 2 diabetes, we know that biopsy isn't appropriate for every patient, but should we be assessing all people with type 2 diabetes for their risk of NASH? I think it is important to make a distinction between just having excess fat in the liver versus having steatohepatitis with fibrosis, because it is the presence of steatohepatitis with fibrosis, particularly advanced fibrosis, that puts the patient at particular risk for a liver-related outcome. Whereas for all patients with type 2 diabetes and certainly with fatty liver disease, cardiovascular outcomes are a very important uh, outcome. As people develop progressive fibrosis in the liver, liver-related outcomes become the principal threat to life. And that is the fundamental rationale for why type 2 diabetes patients should be evaluated, not just for having excess fat in the liver, but actually for the likelihood of having increased fibrosis in their liver as well, particularly advanced fibrosis stages, which can be clinically silent. There's now various non-invasive tests and risk scores at our disposal for assessing the risk of fibrosis and NASH. But in the absence of recent guideline updates, what does the current evidence say about the accuracy of these? Well, this is a very rapidly moving field, and there's an incredible amount of uh, new data pouring in uh, each year. But what I would like to say again is that our goal is to identify patients who not only have fat in the liver, but have steatohepatitis with advanced fibrosis, because that's a special population at particular risk that is not covered by our current approaches to diabetes management. And therefore, uh, I'd like to keep it simple. And I think if there's one message to take home, it is that uh, the FIB4 test has now stood the test of time. It is probably a simple test. It requires only a CBC and a hepatic panel so that uh, you can compute this. And off your Google uh, FIB4 calculator, you put in the age, AST, ALT, and the platelet count, and it gives you a number. If that number is less than 1.3, then your negative predictive value for having significant fibrosis is over 90%. You can stop further workup and at that point reassure the patient, maybe consider bringing them back in a year to reassess the FIB4 score or in two years to reassess the FIB4 scores. On the other hand, if the FIB4 is over 2.6, there is a very high probability that they have significant advanced fibrosis, already bridging fibrosis, or maybe even clinically silent cirrhosis that you were not aware of. I think that's the patient that I would recommend for further uh, you know, referral to a specialist for assessment for cirrhosis or advanced fibrosis. For people who fall in the middle, you know, based on a case-by-case -case definition, family history of uh, people dying of cirrhosis, et cetera, you can make a decision whether to pursue further follow-up with additional non-invasive tests, such as a fibroscan or other elastography-based tools, something that complements what you already have with the FIB4. So while there are hundreds of new diagnostic tools in development, the use of uh, FIB4 and the use of transient elastography with the fibroscan really have emerged as sort of leading tools that can be implemented in routine clinical practice. And in your opinion, how should clinicians implement these approaches into their daily practice? Well, as I mentioned uh, just now, 
I think the first step is to get a Fib4 test on every patient with type 2 diabetes, particularly if those patients are over 40 years of age. You know, uh, because the, as patients have increased uh, exposure to type 2 diabetes, their risk of having steatohepatitis and uh, fibrosis increases proportionately. So a Fib4 test includes a age, AST, ALT, and a platelet count. You can put those numbers into the Fib4 calculator on your cell phone uh, that you can just uh, put in Google, and uh, it'll give you a number. If that number is less than 1.3, it's a safe bucket where there is no immediate threat to life. There's a very high negative predictive value. On the other hand, if it is more than 2.6, it has a fairly good positive predictive value for having advanced fibrosis, uh, which is a particular population at risk and should probably be triaged to more advanced specialists for further assessment. People in the middle, you have to do a case-by-case clinical assessment between 1.3 and 2.6, where it may be valuable to get a fibroscan, which is a transient elastography-based tool uh, depending on whether it's easily available or not, you may decide either to wait and repeat FIB4 in a year's time. You may send the patient to a center that has a fibroscan or refer to a hepatologist, gastroenterologist for a fibroscan. So those are your choices. And finally, what would be your take-home message on this topic for clinicians caring for people with type 2 diabetes? I think the core message is that NASH has emerged as an important end organ disease, just like CKD, just like the heart. The liver is a very important end organ that is affected in type 2 diabetes. That's message number one. And that the message number two is that the liver-related risk is dependent on how scarred up the liver is. So the more scarred up the liver, the greater is the liver-related risk. So people who have advanced fibrosis, which is bridging fibrosis and cirrhosis, are those at greatest risk, and they may be completely clinically silent. That's message number two. Hmm. And number three, using FIB4 and then transient elastography, you can identify the vast majority of these patients with relative ease even today. And you can implement this in your practice uh, tomorrow when you go back to your meeting from the meeting to to your clinical practices. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app, recommend us to your colleagues or write us a review. You can stay up to date by following us on Twitter at DKI Practice or connecting on LinkedIn. And you can find links to these in the episode notes, as well as all the references discussed today. Join us next week for the next episode with Dr. Ronald Goldenberg to discuss introducing patients to injectable therapy.